Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, welcome again, everybody. Thanks for joining us here online for worship here at Community of Hope. Again, maybe some people just jump on in at this part in the stream online. If you just jumped in, I'm Trevor, one of the pastors here. We're so glad you've joined us for worship today. Hey, and listen, before I want to jump into stuff, I just want to take a moment of personal privilege here today. I have a special visitor here from out of town. Now, uh, yes, now uh, my mom is here today. So would you welcome my mom? Yeah. Many of you already love and know Sue and Arch, my mom and dad, and you know, she has, uh, we have our West Campus in Loxahatchee, we have our East Campus that's in West Palm Beach, and then we have like our far West Campus in Tampa, Florida, where my mom and dad live. Yeah, so, um, so it's great to have you here today, but a very, very, very special guest here today, all the way from Seattle, Washington, is my dear, dear Auntie Jane. Would you welcome her? Yeah. So you know when, um, for those of you who are married, for those of you, uh, how do I say this? There's only a couple, we had a large wedding, I don't know, Lee and I had way too many friends when we got married, and we had a large wedding, and uh, we invited a ton of people, but really, you know this if you've been married, there's only a couple people you know, like, it would be my wedding if nobody else comes, but they come. Does that make sense? It was my wedding if, obviously, Leah was there, that's good, make sure she, she showed up at the altar. My mom and dad, and I couldn't get married if Annie Jane wasn't there, and she was. So I'm so excited that you're here today. I love you, and welcome to Community Hope. So everybody come say hi to her. Be nice to her after service. Deal? Great. I will pay you $5 for every nice thing you say to her about me. And yeah, no, just kidding. So uh, we're honored to have you as a guest here today. She also streams, too, all the way from Seattle, Washington. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So yeah, so welcome to be here in person in the room. We love you. Alrighty, so we also have other special guests that are here today in the room. This is what we call occasionally here at Community of Hope an all-in weekend, which means all of our Kids of Hope kids from kindergarten up are in the room today. So can we welcome our kids? Can we honor them? Woo! Go kids! So here's what we do for all-in weekends and why we do this. Now, the lowest reason, the least important reason of why we bring kids into church a couple times a year is occasionally across the year, we want to give some of our Kids of Hope volunteers a break that serve so faithfully week after week after week. Can we honor our Kids of Hope volunteers? We love them. So, I mean, that's important, but that's the least important reason of why we do an all-in weekend. We do all-in weekends because we are all in on the next generation for Jesus. And we believe that when families get together in the presence of God in worship, when it's our grandparents and grandchildren or parents with their kids, when families come together into the presence of God, things happen. Things change when children get to worship next to the parents and when they see their parents or the grandparents worship, and when they see adults engage with the word of God and the preaching and teaching of his word, something happens, not only something modeled, but everything gets better in God's presence. Darkness flees in God's presence. Hearts get healed. Relationships get stronger. Destinies and generations are forever changed when they come into God's presence. We're all in on families together in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. So this is why we're doing that today. So kids, 
I am so glad you are here this morning. I am a big kid at heart. That's all I am. If you know me, you know that's true. So kids, give me high fives all across the room. High fives, high fives. Boom. Awesome. So glad you are here. So here's what we're going to be doing today. This is our last message that the grown-ups have been doing in a big church that we're calling Speak Lord. Everyone say that with me. Speak Lord. And here's what the sermon series has been about. We're learning how to hear God's voice in God's word. So if you're new to Christianity, new to um, how Christians talk about the Bible, that's just one of the ways we talk about the Bible. We call it God's word because we believe God helped inspire human authors to write it. And we believe we're some of the crazy people here today that believe that God still speaks and that God wants to speak to you. See, we're not the type of people who believe that this is just good morals and, you know, it's good principles to teach your family, your kids. No, we believe that people can actually experience the God of the Bible to learn to hear his voice. And let me tell you, in a culture that is becoming more and more spiritual, but less and less religious, the most spiritual thing you could do is to learn how to hear the voice of a loving God who's real and wants to draw near to you in love, right? It's the best thing in the world. I don't... It, I don't know of anything else that brings me greater comfort, greater peace, greater clarity, and more life than learning how to hear God's voice and God's word. Now, kids, here's what's really cool about this. We're going to put up on the screen the Bible verse we've been memorizing as a church. This was not some stuffy grown-up who wrote this. This is 1 Samuel 3, verse 9. This is a prayer a kid learned how to pray. When he grew up, he became the prophet named Samuel, but I bet as a kid, his friends just called him Sam. Everyone say Sam. Sam. And so I'm Sam the kid learned how to pray this prayer to God and God began to speak to him as a kid. You don't have to be a grown up for God to speak to your heart. And so this is a kid learning how to pray this way. And so this isn't the kids learning how to pray like the grown ups. Jesus taught the grown ups need to learn how to pray like the kids. So we're going to pray this all together out loud. Say this with me. Speak, Lord. Your servant, is listening. your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your, servant your servant is listening. That's what Sam learned how to pray. And we're learning how to pray that too. And the best way to help tune your ear to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, because God doesn't speak in shouts. God speaks in whispers. And the best way to tune your ear to the whisper of God is to learn how to hear him in this book first. And then you begin to hear him in all of your life. Now, my job as a preacher today and as a pastor is I can preach on anything I want in this series, anything I want, as long as it comes from one of seven chapters of scripture that we have in our Bible reading plan. As long as I pick anything from one of those seven chapters, anything goes. It's game on. So we will come back to that moment of what I actually picked on to preach from today, what I chose to journal on and to share what God's teaching me and maybe what God might be teaching us today. But here's where I actually want to start. I want to start today um, because I want to start here. I'm glad the kids are here in church because I want to start today talking about one of my favorite books as a kid. I want to talk about The Cat in the Hat. Oh, yeah. How many of you have this at home? Kids, how many of you have this at home? I love The Cat in the Hat. This is written by the famous Dr. Seuss. Um, I loved other Dr. Seuss books growing up. How many of you read Green Eggs and Ham? My mom, who's here today, made me green eggs and ham growing up after reading the book. Uh, green eggs and ham, Horton Hears a Who, 
right? The Sneetches, all sorts of great Dr. Seuss books, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, all those wonderful things, The Lorax, whatever, whatever, whatever. So um, I love Dr. Seuss. This is the most famous Dr. Seuss book, The Cat and the Hat. Now, for the grown-ups who might not be familiar with this, and it's been too long, and you may have forgotten about this, let me and the rest of the kids catch you up on what happens in The Cat and the Hat. So the story starts off with two kids at home, and it's a rainy day, and they are bored, Bored. And let me tell you, when this book was written, the, uh, they did not have TVs in every home. They definitely did not have Nintendo. They definitely did not have PlayStation. They definitely did not have Netflix. What did anybody do on a rainy day before? Oh my gosh. Some of you kids, I think, might not understand the concept of being bored. How many kids have ever been bored before? All right. So there's these little kids. There are these kids who are bored at home because it's a rainy day. Their mother is off running errands and in walks a cat in the hat. We're going to show that page on the screen. And the cat in the hat has come to play and have fun that is funny. Now, the cat in the hat begins to start making a huge mess of things. He brings out rakes. He brings out cakes. And the kids in him are having a lot of fun with a lot of the mess they're making. But they have a fish that lives in a bowl who I think has a little bit of anxiety. Who's always going, no, 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 no. Now, the cat in the hat continues to make bigger and bigger messes. In fact, he brings out a big red box. And he opens the box and out walks thing one and thing two. Can we put up a picture of thing one and thing two? There we go. How many of you remember thing one and thing two? Right? Yeah, uh, thing one and thing two, otherwise known as, in my house, Kate and Tessa, okay? <laughs> thing one and thing two begin to play and run, and the cat in the hat is making good fun, but thing one and thing two quickly get out of control, and they begin to start making a bigger and a bigger mess. Well, all of a sudden, after things begin to get really out of control, the fish notices, look, your mother is coming back. She was out running errands. I've been telling you all day long. And there she is walking right around the corner. Oh, no. What are they going to do? They have to catch thing one and thing two. And how are they going to clean up the house that's been destroyed? Well, they do. They catch thing one and thing two with a net. And then the cat in the hat drives in with a Dr. Seuss thingamabobber machine that cleans the house all within a minute, just in time for mom to come home like nothing ever happened. Adults, how many of you would like a Dr. Seuss cleaning thingamabobber machine to clean your house in three minutes? Wouldn't that be awesome, right? No, I love, I love this book. I love this book because it reminds me of my mom coming back too when I was a kid. Now, I don't know about you, whether you're a kid now or you're grown up now, but I remember being a kid, and we talked about it this week, actually, where my mom would leave a list for me of like 10 things to do before she got home. She'd be gone for most of the day. My brother and I would be home, um, and it was occasional if mom had to go run errands or whatever. She said, okay, before I get home, you need to do this list. And of course, like responsible people, my brother and I did the list first, Right. No, we played first. No, no, no. Until we realized, oh, no, mom's going to be back in 30 minutes. We have 10 things to do. Quick, run. In fact, I didn't say this at the first service. I remember my dad telling a similar story of he forgot to dethaw a chicken when he was a kid. And, and, and he's like, mom's going to come home. So when you're a kid and you need to quickly dethaw a chicken, what do you do? He threw it in the dryer and turned it on to see if it'll dethaw faster, right? <laughs> True story, can't make it up. True story. So my brother and I would forget to do things. We would scramble, we would scramble, try to get them all done, and mom would come home, and then she'd be like, wow, you did all the things on the list. Like, I know, we did them perfectly. And then she would find all my clothes stuffed under my bed. Mm. Now, moms always find clothes under the bed. They know, they know. 
Now, my brother and I forgot mom was coming back. And people in the cat have forgot that mom was coming back. Now, you don't have to be a kid to forget that people are coming back. When I was about 18, I was about a senior in high school. My mom and dad went on a trip out of town, and they went to North Georgia to visit some friends. And so I uh, had the house. My brother had moved out, had an apartment in town um, at that point. He was on his own. I went to church with our student ministry. And uh, we had, that week, a group of missionaries who were visiting our church. It was really cool. And, uh, but it turns out this, these missionaries, their housing fell through. They had nowhere to stay. And I had just like a good Christian young man. I had a wonderful idea. And I went, oh, my house is empty. I can host all these missionaries. So I called my mom and dad, said, mom and dad, can I take the missionaries to our house tonight to stay? They have nowhere to stay. These poor missionaries, will you let them stay at our house? And they said, sure. No problem, Trev. I said, great. Everybody come to my house. Like I'm the good Christian boy who's bringing the missionaries to my house. Look how Jesus-like I am. And then I pulled up to my house. that was supposed to be all to myself to put these missionaries in to feel good about myself. And all of a sudden, there's all these cars there that I don't recognize. Uh-oh. And I walk in, and my brother's there. And my brother's there with lots of his friends. And my brother's there with lots of his friends, thro- with lots of his friends throwing a party. And because there's kids in the room, let's just say it like this, grown-ups, they were throwing a party where everybody had a red Solo cup. <laughs> Come, everybody, to my house. We'll bring the missionaries. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> I looked at my brother. Went, can, can, we, can, can we go talk in my room? Like, yeah, man. I'm like, he's like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? Phone rings, ring, ring, pick up. I'm ready to just strangle my brother. Hello? Hi, Trev. It's mom. How's everything going? Going fine. Graham's here. Want to talk to him? (laughs) Bad things happen when you forget that somebody is coming back, right? Bad things happen if you forget that somebody is coming back. Here's where I'm going with all this today. Here's where I'm going with all this. The passage of scripture I chose to journal on that I chose to uh, write about, and we're going to talk about how to journal, what does that look like, and how to hear God's voice in God's word, that I journaled on and developed it to message today for all of us here, um, is about not forgetting that somebody's coming back and how that changes things for us. So in this series, what we do to learn how to hear God's voice in God's word, we teach not only reading the Bible, like that would change your life, but if you learn how to journal with reading the Bible and make it applicational. That will change. It's the best possible discipline you can add to your life. Better than running, better than learning how to eat healthier. Even though all those things are really, really good, the best habit you possibly could do for your life is to learn how to read the Bible and apply it to your life. So here's my journal here. This is just a simple black moleskin journal. I like boring black modern journals. There's nothing spiritual about this type of journal. I just think it's cool. I like the color black. I like Batman, whatever. Okay, don't judge me. Now, so what um, I do here is we journal through, and we use an acronym called SOAP. Now, you probably can't see this from here. You probably can't see it online, but I'm just showing this for illustrative purposes. On each side of the page, I'll put the date, S-O-A-P, S-O-A-P, and we journal through using this acronym called SOAP. So we read a chapter of scripture and we journal, I write about one page. It takes me about 15 minutes. I'm not sitting alone with God for four hours going, um, 
This does not take long. If you're new, uh, you don't need to try to do this every single day. You probably won't make that habit start like that. You should start with maybe once or twice a week. Pick something that's realistic, attainable, graceful with yourself. Start small and build it into a daily habit. Don't try to spike it and do a Hail Mary off the, uh, you know, just a home run right away. Start small, build from there. So we use the acronym SOAP. And SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. So for S, for my scripture, what did I pick from? I could have picked from James 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3. I picked 1 Peter 1. So we're going to put this on the screen, and it's on the CUH app in your sermon notes. And we're going to read this here. This is Peter writing 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says here, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. All right, guys, let's practice our prayer. Everybody bow your head. And just between you and God, just with your own whisper in your own heart, ask him, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. All right, and all the kids said first, amen. amen. And all the grown-ups said, amen. amen. Awesome. Kids leading the way. I love it. Okay, so. Uh, let's talk about this. What we just read comes from 1 Peter. So here's a little bit of background about this for what we just read. This is written by the famed, the apostle Simon Peter. This is the same guy who walked on water with Jesus. This is the same guy who perpetually stuck his foot in his own mouth. Yeah, well, <laughs> ew. That when, when grown-ups say you stick your foot in your mouth, that means they constantly say the wrong things. So that's Peter. So if you have problems saying the wrong thing or saying, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, Peter's your dude. He's the patron saint of that. Um, uh, and so his name was Simon, but Jesus gave him the nickname Peter. Peter isn't what his parents named him. That's the nickname Jesus gave him. Now, a lot of people weren't called Peter back in the day. What that meant in the ancient language they spoke at the time is like Jesus looked at Simon and said, you're no longer Simon. You're now the rock. That's right. Jesus was calling people the rock before Dwayne Johnson, right? So I love it. Game on. Peter's one of my favorite uh, disciples just because of that. This book is written around Rome, which scholars believe was anywhere between the year 62 and 63 AD. Here's the theme. Christians were going through a hard time. People were opposing Christians. They were making Christians their enemy. They're working against them. And sometimes people got even violent because people believed that Jesus was Lord. And that got some people in trouble. And so Peter wrote this to encourage them to not lose heart and to not give up and to comfort them. So this is the scripture, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 16. I'll just write the reference on my page. Then I'll go to O on my journal. O, which stands for observation. So my observation for my journal, I noticed a few things. And so write this down first. I noticed that there was first a call to hope, a call to hope, which is um, noticing that Jesus 
is coming, is what Peter says. So verse 13, he says, Therefore, with minds are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you in Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, what followers of Jesus believe in all times, in all places, in the entire tree of Christianity with different branches and different traditions um, that belong to the entire tree, even though there might be differentiations between different expressions of Christianity, all Christians in all times, in all places, believe that Jesus will come again. And they believe that this coming will be sudden, it will be visible, it will be physical and glorious in manner. Sudden, like it will happen like that. It's not going to be gradual. It will be visible to all people. It will be physical. He's not going to come as a spirit or a ghost. He's going to come in bodily form and it will be glorious. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, pause. A lot of Christians believe a lot of different things about this topic, about Jesus' second coming, about end times, about the book of Revelation, and some grown-ups can get pretty passionate about this topic. In our church, at our partnership class, we have named things that are non-essentials for our church of like, you know what? There's a lot of different room for a lot of different belief on this. We're not going to die on this hill. So in our church, this is a non-essential for us. People have a lot of different beliefs about this area. We're not going to fight about it. We can discuss it, have general, a generous uh, dialogue and conversation with each other. We're not going to fight about this. The only thing our church says is an essential about this topic is Jesus is coming back and he wins, baby. That's it. Okay, that's it. Now. Excuse me. So this comes from several different places in scripture. Like, where do we get this? It starts first with Jesus. He taught his followers in John 14, three, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. So he's alluding to it right there. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, after he said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is after his death, after his literal physical resurrection from the dead, and this is what's called the ascension of Jesus. So he ascended into heaven. Well, in verse 10, here's what happens next. They were looking intently up into the skies he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So you can see with the understanding of where we're getting this idea. Now, not only that he's going to come back in the same way that he left, we also have nuances that no one knows when this will happen. Jesus said it himself, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So one-on-one, one-on-one, grown-ups, the number one way to fail-proof yourself from joining a cult, okay, is if they say they know when Jesus is going to return, they don't. It's a cult, okay? I remember hearing about one of the most famous books ever published, 1,984 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1984. Let me tell you, Jesus did not come back in 1984. Don't listen to anybody who tells you, oh, we know. No, they don't. Jesus doesn't even know. Everyone simmer down now, okay? Right? Great. So Jesus himself doesn't even know, but this is what Jesus said about this. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. 
If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So also you must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So there is an unknown time. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming. And that's kind of by design by God, because people slack off if we know when somebody's coming back. Make sense? Okay, great. Now, let's just pause for a moment and acknowledge the weirdness and the craziness about everything we're just saying. If you are not used to church, it sounds like I'm on crazy pills. It really does. Like, people don't die and come back from the dead. I'm pretty sure death has a 100% success rate. It's the undefeated champion. I'm also pretty sure that when people die, they not only don't come back at a race from the dead, when people die and it's been a long time, they don't come back either. Like Steve Jobs is not coming back to run Apple. As great as that would be, he's not. Gandhi is not coming back to India. Abraham Lincoln is not coming back to the United States, right? Elvis has left the building and he's not coming back. Well, actually, Elvis didn't really die. So, I mean, you know, we don't really know about that. Same thing with Tupac and Biggie. Those dudes are alive, right? They're still making music. Come on. Where's my 90s people at? We got to stick together. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Now, you know, so all those things, you know, people don't come back. This doesn't happen. So why in the world do Christians believe this? Why would we believe something that's so outlandish? Well, it's simple. Because if you predict your own death, like that's kind of easy to do. People can predict their death, sort of. If you can predict your own death and then predict your own resurrection and then pull it off, someone should listen to you. And Jesus did. Christianity is not you. We have the, such a high view of scripture in our church. Like we believe this is the written voice of God. But Christianity isn't a book-based religion. It's an event-based religion. It's based off an event of an empty tomb that really happened in human history. And because Jesus lives, it changes everything. It means everything he ever said or ever did was vindicated. And what sounded crazy is going, wow, he wasn't crazy. He's not a lunatic and he's not a liar. He's Lord. And if he says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back on the third day, and then I'm going to come again, I'm going to believe him. And that's where it comes from. Now, what's really important for me to tell you here today is not just, here's why Christians believe this, but here's why you should believe this. You want this. You want it to be true that Jesus is coming back. Two reasons. One, for justice. Are you sick of a broken world where it seems like the bad guys always win? Where there's systemic injustice and pain and oppression and violence all over the world and evil regimes and evil governments take advantage of their people? And are you sick of seeing it here, even in our own land, in our own time? I've talked about this before. The scourge of human trafficking makes me sick to my stomach. I want something to happen to make it all right. Well, theologian N.T. Wright says this. He said, in a world of systemic injustice, bullying. Any kids here don't like bullies? Yeah. In a world of bullies, 
in a world of violence and arrogance and oppression. The thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news there can be. If you want somebody to come and make it all right again, I'm here to tell you, you will not find that name on a ballot box, but that name who's going to come and make it all right is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only one. He's the only one who can come and make it right again. And that's why I would, I wish when bad things happen in the world, I want to teach you to swap prayers. I don't want you when bad things happen to go, oh God, why did you let this happen? We don't believe God's the author of evil and suffering here at our church. I want to switch out your prayer instead of why God. I want to teach you a prayer that the first Christians prayed. It's called Maranatha. Everyone say that with me. Maranatha. It means this. Come Lord, so when you see evil and pain and suffering and injustice, don't ask why. Lift your eyes to heaven. Say, Jesus, hurry. We need you. Maranatha, come, Lord. If you want justice, you want Jesus to return. And if you long for intimacy with God, you want Jesus to return. When Jesus comes back, what it's going to be like for everybody who's put their hope and faith in him, it's going to be like you seeing and meeting a friend face-to-face that you've only known through letters and emails and phone calls and texts. You may have even learned to hear their voice, but you have yet to feel their physical hug. Remember the first hug you got after the pandemic started from somebody outside your house? It's going to be like that, but way, way, way better. You want Jesus to return. It's first a call to hope. It's also, still my observation, a call to likeness. Call to likeness. It's the call to be holy. Verses 14 through 16. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, even though it's talking to children here, it's actually talking to all of us. All of us are called children here. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Some of us didn't know what was right and wrong until we really followed Jesus. We had kind of an idea, and then we found out. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, let's remember what holiness is not. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not uh, just different for different sake. Holiness doesn't mean being a jerk. Like most of us, when we think of people who are holy rollers. We think of people who are mean, right? One of the best sermon titles we've ever had here at our church, we still hear about it years after the fact. We called a sermon, How to Be Holy Without Being a Jerk. People gave their lives to Jesus just because of that title alone, okay? Because people have the wrong idea. They think holiness is a list of do's and don'ts that makes you mean and rigid and judgmental. And holiness is not any of those things. And this passage shows us how. I want everybody here, kids and grown-ups, to think with me just for a moment. I want you to think with me about somebody you really like that you think is awesome, maybe a famous person or maybe somebody in your life, who do you think is awesome and you want to be like them? I know for me right now, somebody I think is awesome and I get a lot of inspiration from, 
I cannot believe I'm about to say this. Five years ago, I would have never believed if we like traveled back in time and showed me five years ago what I'm about to say, my jaw would have hit the floor. I think Tom Brady is awesome. <laughs> I do. I think Tom Brady is awesome. And somebody, somebody at the nine o'clock went, go Patriots. I'm like, no, go Bucks. Okay. So um, I think Tom Brady's awesome. Um, this week, uh, the Buccaneers got their Super Bowl rings. I debated showing a picture of it on the screen, but I think it would have blinded everybody in the room and everybody online. It was so gaudy. It was ridiculous and awesome. But here's a picture of Tom Brady opening it to get his ring with our offensive coordinator, Byron Lefwich, and just the joy on their faces uh, putting on his seventh Super Bowl ring. Wow. Now, I'm not here to tell you about Super Bowl rings and all this nonsense, I'm here to tell you about is because of all this celebration that's happening. They went to the White House. They got their rings, all this stuff. Stories have started to come out about Tom Brady. Good ones from the team. Um, the legend of Tom Brady in Tampa is only growing. Did you know this guy who's unquestionably the greatest football player of all time because of his success? Did you know that all year long, this guy didn't give one speech to the team? Don't you think he would have been the team captain giving the speech of every single game? He didn't give one rah-rah speech. He just showed up to practice, worked harder than everybody else, and taught everybody to come along with him and held people accountable. He changed the leadership culture of the entire organization in one year. And Tom Brady never gave a speech until the day of the Super Bowl. And he cashed in all these moral authority chips in one moment and told the defensive captain, when you're done giving your rah-rah, give me the floor. I said, oh, okay. Rah, 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 we're going to win. We're going to beat the Chiefs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Tom stands up, and the whole team goes silent. And what comes out, what came out this week in the media is there was no cameras allowed. There's no audio recording of it. It only lives in legend with the players who were in the room. And they all said it was the greatest speech they've ever heard. They said it deserved to be in a movie. They all left with goosebumps. And here's what Tom told them. He said, you go in to win this game, not just with the name of the jersey of the Buccaneers on you, but the name of the team on the back of your jersey, your family name. If you win this game, your children will be marked by you winning this game the rest of their lives. If you win this game, your wife will be marked by you winning this game the rest of her life. And your parents and your aunts and your uncles, you have no idea the honor that will come on your entire family if you go and win this game. I'm getting goosebumps now just talking about it. I wasn't even there. I think that is awesome. I would run through a wall for him. I'm not even in the game. I'm the dude eating chicken wings. Like, yeah, go get him. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I want to be just like that. Man. But can I be honest with you? The person who I admire the most, who I think is the most awesome, that I want to be like more than anyone else, the greatest person I've ever met in my entire life is Jesus Christ. And I don't mean this like philosophically. I read about him. He sounds like a nice guy. I talked to him this morning. And Jesus of Nazareth is the strongest person I've ever met. He is the kindest person I've ever met. 
the most compassionate person I've ever met, the most creative, the most compelling, the most patient and peaceful, the most redemptive person I've ever met and the most powerful person I have ever met. And every time I get around him, I just want more of him. And I want to be like him. So there's a call to holiness, a call to likeness. Notice what it says in the passage. It does not say, be holy and don't do as I do, do as I say, but not as I do. It says, no, just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy. A call to holiness is if you want to be like Jesus, then come follow him and you will become holy. Because he is holy. If a call to holiness is to be more like Jesus, I'm in, aren't you? So all this is the observation here. All this is the observation. So how does it actually apply to my life? Here's the best part of journaling. Application. A for application. I always pause and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how do you want to apply this to me? This doesn't work if I'm just growing in knowledge of what this says. I want to know what you're saying to me through this. And here's what I wrote down. I wrote down this phrase. If I expect someone to come back, I will live like they're coming back. If I expect someone to come back, I will live like they're coming back. I heard a worship leader sing one time saying, Jesus is not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave, and he is not staying in heaven forever. He's alive, and he's coming. And so really, we have a call to hope and a call to likeness, but really, it's this. It's a call to readiness. People get ready. Jesus is coming. I'd like to invite Keith to come on out and to come on up here in our final moments here. And as Keith, where, wherever he's, there he is. I thought you might descend down from the ceiling, you know. Um, this is my dude. Love you, man. Um, I began to ask myself, how would I live different if I believed Jesus was coming back today? Because that's what he says. Be ready. You don't know the day. It could be today. If I were to live like Jesus was coming back today, if I expected him, to come back. I'll live like he's coming back. So how would I live differently? I think I would love people more and I would give more of my time and my energy. I wouldn't be hoarding my time to myself. I would give myself away more to others. I would take my sin even more seriously than I already do. I would pray more. I would invite more people to church. I would tell more people about Jesus. And you know what else I would do? I would quit freaking out so much. Because if in the end, if he comes back and he's going to win it all, I know how the story's going to end. I can just chill out a little bit. That's me. What about you? If Jesus were to come back today, I'm sure there's some things that we might want to change in our lives. There are some things that we might need to stop, like you don't want to get caught doing by Jesus. And I know there's some things I do want to do that I do want Jesus to catch me doing if he comes back. More than just being afraid of bad, I want him to see that I'm doing good when he comes, don't you? And I would want to make sure that I'm 
not waiting for him to come back. Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I want to bow my knee before he comes, before I'm made to involuntarily confess him as Lord. I want to confess him as Lord before he comes. And so for some of you here in person, maybe online, if you've been waiting to make Jesus your Lord and to invite him into your life, you shouldn't wait. Today's the day you should do it. Invite him into your life. He'll meet you right here. It could be different for all of us. So here's the final letter in the acronym for SOAP. It's P for prayer. And kids, you do this, and kids of hope, every single Sunday. You pause and you ask God one question in silence. And we're going to do that together right now. So I invite you to bow your heads, every one person online. Would you bow your heads? And just ask God in the silence of your own heart, every kid and every grown-up, how do you want me to live differently knowing that, Jesus, you're coming back? just let him speak to you. Thank you, Jesus, you're coming back. You're coming back to judge the living and the dead. You're coming back as a friend. You're coming back as someone who's going to make it all right again. Lord, for those of us who have never invited you into our hearts and in our lives, uh, I want to give any person that opportunity now to just pray silently along with me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life and into my heart. I want to follow you. I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my leader. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And I ask you to be my friend. With your help, I will follow you all the days of my life. I put my faith and trust in you now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to live like you're coming back. Because you are. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you're able, would you stand? We want to remind everybody that we're going to be starting a new series next week called Rooted. We're really excited about this. We're talking about how to grow what matters most in your life. So make sure you come back next week. Make sure you invite a friend or share with anybody online. Now with that, would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next weekend.